Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, a slew of big earnings. Check out Starbucks and Western Digital moving lower, while Intel, the standout, higher in the after-hour session. We're on the calls, and we'll bring you the latest. Plus, they call him the Bitcoin Oracle, the man who called the rise and fall of Bitcoin is here with another shocking prediction, and it could have far-reaching implications for the crypto world. Vinny Lingham, who is also the host of Shark Tank in Africa, will join us later this hour. But first, we start off with words that move the markets all over the world. Take a listen. We are doing so well. Our country is becoming so economically strong again, and strong in other ways, too, by the way, that the dollar is going to get stronger and stronger. And ultimately, I want to see a strong dollar. President Trump speaking exclusively to CNBC's Joe Kernan in Davos, Switzerland, and the market took notice. The dollar initially surged for its biggest intraday move in a year. That weighed on stocks for a second, but the Dow did manage to finish higher triple digits, joining the S&P 500 at a record high. So the question here is, between Secretary Mnuchin talking down the dollar and then President Trump talking it up, is this administration playing a dangerous game with the world's reserve currency, and is this a risk to the rally guy? I don't know if it's a risk to the rally. I do think they're playing a dangerous game. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I don't think a sitting president and our Treasury secretary should be opining on the strength or weakness of the U.S. dollar. It's historically something they don't do. And maybe we've changed. Maybe the world's changed, and maybe they should. I don't think we should. They also, though, should get probably get on the same page. Quite frankly, a year ago this time, I think it was February of 2017, at 3 a.m. when President Trump called Mike Flynn at 3 o'clock in the morning to ask what was better for the economy, a strong or weak dollar. He, Mr. President Trump was correct. Actually, a weaker dollar is better for multinationals. Folks at home don't want to hear that. That is the truth. And quite frankly, Mr. Mnuchin is probably correct. But I got to tell you something. Our trade partners don't want it. The people that have our debt don't want it. And the consumers at home shouldn't want a weak dollar either. And well, people who invest in emerging markets don't want yeah, it. I mean, I, a lot I, of trades I gotta don't tell work. You, you know, I, this, this, today's comments were almost worse than yesterday's. Look, t- he, you, you'd think he would have left well enough alone yesterday, but then he says, well, sometimes we want a strong dollar, sometimes we want a weak dollar. I mean, it, you know, I think he should stop talking about the dollar, and I think there was a time when, uh, in this country, didn't matter who was in the White House or who was in certain other major posts, there was a sense that there were a ton of people in confidence across the entire administration, and, and I don't think that this Treasury Secretary is giving a lot of people a lot of confidence. So, um, to me, I, I think the message that Donald Trump said, President Trump at least tried to do damage control. I think that was smart. I think ultimately to get in there and say our economy's chugging along, we're very interested in having a strong currency is the right thing to say, although I don't think he's supposed to be saying that either. I think it was the right thing to say after what we had. Uh, I think, when I think you they always say that, though. I think they all say strong dollar. They usually I think this is, say strong dollar They, 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 they always strong say dollar strong dollar. Policy. I think Mnuchin was trying to... Sort of be a problem. So you, you, you think he was doing okay out there? Which one? Mnuchin. I think that he was trying to be practical. He was trying, he, he was trying to say it doesn't hurt us. He wasn't talking about manipulating it. I think he was talking yesterday about a weak dollar's in our advantage. It's at a good time. It's great for Is American companies. 
Is there I'm a, don't ask me the question. I'm, I'm saying this is what this is what he was saying. I'm asking you the question. It wasn't like he was manipulating. That's my point. Regardless of what he, was, was regardless of what was said, what is the? I mean, we need to figure out what the answer is so we can put trades on around it. I mean, Tim, I think you would probably agree that a weaker dollar, to a certain extent, is beneficial. It's beneficial to your portfolio and to a lot of the, the stocks that you well, have, I, right? I, I think it's beneficial if you're investing in emerging markets or if you're investing in commodities. And I think you also multinationals. Well, multinationals to some point, but I, I still think that there's there's import price inflation. I think there's a case where um, if, if, if people are going to be buying our goods, do you think that they, they ultimately, or let's put it differently. First of all, back to the U.S. Treasury. At a time when the U.S. Treasury is about to ramp up issuance again, where they're cutting back on their bond buying, and they need foreigners to be in there. If you're telling us that we're going to let the dollar erode out from under you while you're buying our stuff, not very smart. Uh, if you're an emerging markets investor, you got to a place here where, first of all, the, the RSI, or the relative strength indicator, the momentum in emerging markets got to 2,004 levels this morning. We're way overbought. The dollar was way oversold. It should have bounced. So ultimately, you're at a place here where I think that some of this you know, played out. But I do think today with month end and whatnot is this is actually maybe a point where people are going to take a pause. Karen? I mean, it's a little bit unnerving to see the dollar move so much, right? Guy and I were talking about this in the green room before the show. Over the last, I guess, year, is it so much that the dollar has weakened or that the other currencies have strengthened? I know it ends up being the same thing, but was this going to happen anyway as the rest of the world sort of starts to, you know, pick up momentum? Right. I don't know about that. It's interesting to me, the volatility index only was only a little bit higher at the end of today with a lot of stuff going on in the middle. Mm -hmm. For me and for my portfolio, I'm not going to change what I own because of the dollar moving around a lot today. But I don't love it. It will make me sort of hang on to puts, wait for the VIX to go a lot higher before I sell them. Is it pretty are, easy? Uh -huh. Just for this, this thought, the dollar's been going down since December. The market's been I mean, going up. The dollar's been going down for years. a year. So it's, been, it's a three-year so, low. So, but, so. but we're talking about Trump now. Trump, Trump, okay. just the Trump effect. The dollar's been going down. The market's been going up. So when you say, what do you do with your portfolio, everything has seemed to have worked, with the exception of energy until lately. So I think you stay the course. You stay the course. But if the, if the dollar changes course, doesn't that change how you view the markets at all or I, I no? Th I think it has to be Because you had made the point that it had been going down since yes, Trump I and the market's you, been going up. So Yeah, I, I agree with Mnuchin. Uh -huh. I, I think I, I would like a weaker dollar, not falling out of bed weaker dollar, but I would like a weaker dollar. I would not like the dollar to spike higher. Yeah, it's interesting. you know, And the pushback would be if we're 70% or 72% consumer-driven economy, mm -hmm. which we are, and... This is a hidden tax for the consumers. I mean, your, your buying power is eroding away. We're, whether we you run a deficit or, in this country. Whether you realize what, it or not. Right. So you, I agree with you. While rates are going higher, and Karen's made this point, inflation seems to be trending higher. That's sort of a triple whammy that's not going to hurt the stock market today or maybe a month or two months from now. It, at a certain uh -huh. point, it has an effect. If is, it continues its right, trajectory. Right. I, I completely understand that. But do you think that we're at a place, though, that the consumer expects the retailers to sort of absorb that? I mean... Could it just uh, be the problem of well, the retailers, sector, right? I, mean, they I think have the no retailers choice. are thinking that's that right. the consumer can absorb it. The consumers are doing better. Wages are higher. Some of them are getting bonuses. They actually right? increase prices. Maybe, I don't know. I'm sort of interested to see how price. this LG price increase, right. who's absorbing that? Home Depot? I don't know. Right, right. I don't know. The consumer that's the question. I don't absorb know. that question. tax but That's how you're smart. I don't know. But protectionism and trade barriers and everything that's going on, at least in terms of the rhetoric last week, Tomorrow, we're going to flex some muscle. We're going to tell the world how tough we are on trade. This is all going to be inflationary. It's all going to have an impact. And at a time when we've been expecting inflation at some point to rear its ugly head, and yet people aren't pricing in four Fed hikes, we're at about a 15% uh, probability.
probability of that. We're at a 58% probability of three hikes. I think people are behind the curve. So are you Mario Draghi today said he's behind the curve. Are you de-risking your portfolio? Yes, yes. What today, did you do today? Well, today I sold emerging markets that, that to me are part of a tactical allocation, which to me I trade quite actively, and I flattened it out. I, I think emerging markets are, are going a lot higher, but they don't need to go a lot higher when they're as overbought as they were and the dollar was as oversold as it was. All right. Well, if you thought today was wild, our next guest says buckle up. A pullback is coming, and you want to listen to him because he is Wall Street's biggest bull. Tony Dwyer, chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity, is over at the Plasma to break it all down. Tony, take it away. Hey, hey, Mel. Well, our theme this year is higher volatility with higher markets. A big part of that is because sentiment has gotten so extreme. Investors Intelligence, which are, has 12% bears, historically, that's a low level of bears. And this measures newsletter writers. It's one of the oldest sentiment measures around. You had a 50% run up in the market. That's caused all the bears to hibernate. And when that happens, typically, and the last time that happened was 1985 into 1986. Again, you had a 40% move going up here. You had a 40% move coming up into the corrective territory. What happened there when you had 12%, right here you had 12% uh, bears, you had corrections. Look at these things. You had two-day corrections followed by ramps to new highs. Now, that's the whole thing here, is if Pete, my buddy Pete was here, he'd say hashtag giddyup. When you do get one of these drops, you get these ramps back up. They're three-day ramps. You don't have time to get involved. You got to do them right away. I think we invite Tony over, right? 100%. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> it's kind of weird if he just left him hanging out there. Karen, thank you for bringing the chair in. What's up, brother? How are you, Tim? Welcome. So what do you tell investors to do? I got to tell you, you know, there's this push to, to buy the next tick. You know, there's, you got to do something, you got to do something. There's a great say, old line saying that I like to use, don't just do something, sit there. This is one of those times where I think huh. you just sit there. I don't think you have to chase the next tick. As we showed on the Telestrator, when you get optimism this high and bearishness this low, you're going to get a chance to buy them cheaper. And we feel like you got to do something. You don't have to do something. But what I wanted to show on that Telestrator so well you don't have time to try and bet the downside because the rebound happens far too quickly. Just like the, two, the drops are two to three day drops, you get the two to three day ramps. So, so Tony, when you look at, to, to your point, this is the second longest we've been above the 200 day moving average. And the last time that we broke that trend, we only had about 40 days before we was trading even higher than where it fell off a cliff. So you can't sell them. You can't wait to buy them because you, you, you already own everything. So what do you do? Just literally sit on your hands? I, I would literally sit on my hands. I don't think there's a reason. There's no fundamental reason that I can tell. Well, it depends on your time frame, too. If you're a good enough trader. Okay, so here's what you do. If you're way overweight and levered into equities, cut back to a neutral position. If you're way overweight, the more aggressive and high cyclical areas, maybe you neutralize for a little bit. When the market does come in, and that shows you, it's coming in. This, now it's coming in. I really believe it's coming in. Then you can add into it versus you can relever into it and get aggressive into it versus chasing it here. Tony, is passive investing now dampened volatility such that the pullback that, based on everything you just showed us, is inevitable, but might not come at well, might not come, but might come in such a muted way that it's it's all relative, it's relatively benign anyway. Guy, you're almost as old as me. Well, we, yeah. there's always, oh, you know, Why'd you I don't feel a day over seven. Why are we doing that on this show? He's at least got hair still. Oh. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Guy, he said you're almost. No, but, you know, there's always a reason. Human nature is 
only works at extremes. Like the investors' intelligence polls. Usually it doesn't mean a damn thing. When you're at a human nature extreme, then you can make a better educated guess as to the near-term direction. We have hit that extreme with 12% bears, just like Timmy was talking about with the dollar. You, you're so much above the 50-day the moving average in the, emerge, in the EEM that it's likely to pull back historically near term. Certain times, there's really identifiable things. We're in one of those times. But I think the key to the message is it's not a bearish call. Please, please don't get bearish when you have a positively sloped yield curve. You never, ever, ever want to be negative. What you want to do is use weakness to your advantage because it comes back very quickly. So basically, as long as the yield curve is the way it is, mm -hmm. there's no risk that that small pullback will become something bigger. Or is there? There's a, there's a risk that to the passive investment and the high-frequency trading and, you know, that kind of thing. There's a, there's a shot that you could have kind of a market event, but it's, it shouldn't be a big event and it should be very, very temporary. You know we have a new specialist, right? At the NYSE, most specialists are gone. They were the stabilizers in a fast market. It's corporate America. Corporate America buybacks, when you get whooshes in the market, that's your, that's your specialist. That's the person, that's the Smoothing group that's out. there to smooth it out. They're not doing it. They're doing it for the benefit of their shareholders. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say there still are. There's not as many. Only the best ones are around. <laughs> Tony, good to see you. Thank you. Tony it's Dwyer. Great to be here. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, guys. Um, what did you do today, Karen? do a lot. Uh, I did I did sell some United, buy some Delta. I mean, an awful day, obviously, for them both, mm. but uh, rather be in Delta than, than United. And then um, I also, I bought some Manitowoc today. You did? Yes, I did. What's more Manitowoc, Why? I guess I should say. I don't know. I thought that the, the cat numbers were interesting. Manitowoc has it's had a nice run, but we're going to see their earnings shortly. I think there's a reasonable shot that we get some good news from them. I think everyone's getting spooked in home builders with rising rates. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting spooked. I'm trying to look at these things and see if I want to add to some of my home builder positions. PHM is the one I'm still on. Uh, Brazil's moved almost 9% over the course of two days. You sell some of that. You just you have to, especially with, I think, a dollar. It's going to actually get a little bit of a bounce here. Um, sold some Macy's, sold some of it yesterday, sold the rest of it today, flattened this out. Um, again, this wasn't falling in love with the position necessarily and become a true investor. I, I think it was oversold. Retail's had a big run. I still think there's more to do, but that's my call on Macy's. Some of these material stocks might come off a bit if the dollar does rally, you know, short covering rally in the dollar. If, in fact, that happens, like if FCX or U.S. Steel, for example, I think you buy that dip. All right, and a quick programming note here. Do not miss Joseph Carnan's full interview with President Trump tomorrow on Squawk Box. That's at 6 a.m. Eastern time. Coming up, check out where we stand with earnings after hours, Intel, Western Dish, Starbucks, all on the move. We are on those calls. We'll bring you all the latest details. Plus, he is known as Bitcoin Oracle for his spot on predictions on where the currency is headed next. So what does he think now? Vinny Lingham will look into his crystal ball in just a few moments. And later, this stock is on fire. Check out this chart. The tech name is up 15% in 2018 alone, and it has one of our traders pounding the table. We'll tell you what it is right after this break. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Alibaba's breaking out, and that kicks off our top trades. Check out the Chinese tech giant jumping 15% so far in 2018. This after reports emerge of talks between Alibaba and grocery giant Kroger. Just like Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods last year, the Chinese e-commerce giant could be looking to expand into groceries. Uh, will that move 
take the stock to new heights, Tim? Well, I think it's another catalyst for a name that actually has a couple of, a couple of catalysts out there, including Feb 5, where you have earnings, where I think they're going to show that that December quarter, they actually grew their GMV 53, 54%. I'm seeing, I saw four analysts in the last couple of days rushing to upgrade their numbers on Alibaba into those numbers. This Kroger deal, I think, is certainly you can follow the same playbook as Amazon. Ultimately, what you're seeing in the entire E-commerce space in China is off the charts. Look at VIPs, look at JD. They've been booming. And then there was that technical breakout. I don't understand why Alibaba would want to acquire or partner with a U.S.-based grocery store if most of their... If the whole thing is a Chinese consumer... But but it's not. I mean, let's face it. Alibaba certainly right now is is a global company. Tmall, um, what they're doing there is, is certainly geared towards international merchants. I think at a minimum, they're trying to place and plant a flag globally. Maybe not in the United States. I, I agree. I, I'm not sure this is a big thing for them. But it's establishing this as a brand and as, as an international brand at a time when really they are growing dramatically outside of China. And, and that's a big part of their business. I think they've been trying to uh, really present experiences in brick and mortar. And this is just something where I always equated to it is Amazon 2.0 and if you missed Amazon this is your way of grabbing this and they're following the same exact playbook to the T that's why it's still a buy and that's why I still own it you know Kroger's interesting we talked about it probably a little bit early but in June when the stock went from basically 32 down to 22 I mean it went sideways maybe down to 20 and a half or so but we talked about how cheap Kroger was relative to its peers and it has bounced obviously a lot of it on the back of this it was tra trading higher before that but now you have to ask yourself, if you've been in Kroger, is it getting a little expensive? And the short answer is probably yes. You're still in a pretty significant two-and-a-half-year downtrend, and there's still headwinds for Kroger. They haven't figured it out. So in my world, if you've enjoyed this rally, I think you take some profits. Guy's I, world. I sort of agree. It doesn't quite make sense to me intuitively. If they were to try to do that, I would think, why not go after something like a Target? Oh, that is a broader yeah. than just groceries. It's bigger. I, I mean, they, they have a presence here in terms of... of exporting or bringing U.S. products to China, but I don't see it selling things here. I, I don't think that this is a core, a, a, a core strategic alliance for them. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I look at the company, and I think the most important thing for Alibaba right now is sentiment on this company has changed. People believe their numbers. They believe in Jack Ma. They believe in the VC element of all the companies they're spinning off. They believe in the fast money, what you buy at the all-time highs. Oh, okay. So, 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 so here's another fast money question. Would you rather Alibaba or Tencent? Ooh. Um... I think here, I think Alibaba's got more room to run because it's been, this is a technical call. It's been mostly sideways for the last three months until that ascending triangle breakout. Tencent's been booming. I think Tencent is more of a pan-tech play in Asia, and if you want to buy one of them, that's the better one to play, but Alibaba of late. I'm long Alibaba, so my answer in short is going to be Alibaba. And the price targets across the street are 200. Are basically, it's, it's magnetized to 210, and I think it goes above that. And I think you're going to be looking at a stock that is probably three or $400 in the next two or three years. Still ahead, check out shares of Starbucks. That stock is getting crushed after its earnings report. What went wrong with the quarter? We'll hear from the CEO of Starbucks later this hour. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Pot stocks have been burning up the tape, but a top hedge fund says pass on grass. We'll tell you which stocks that fund is betting will fall. Plus, is the government coming for your Bitcoin? This is a raid. That's what Vinny Lingham, the man some call the Bitcoin Oracle, says. He will be here to explain why and what to do with your coins when Fast Money returns. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Crypto regulation, a hot topic at the World Economic Forum in Davos this week. This is the price of Bitcoin. Stays nailed near that $11,000 level, or as we like to call it, Bitcoin purgatory. Seema Modi's got more on that story. Seema. Melissa, Bitcoin catching the attention of some of the most powerful names in the world of finance. U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, IMF Director Christine Lagarde, both said they were focused on cryptocurrencies and regulation. We want to make sure they're not used for illicit activities. So in the United States, our regulations, if you're a Bitcoin wallet, you're subject to the same regulations as a bank. I totally agree with what uh, Stephen was saying about the fact that the anonymity, the lack of uh, transparency, and the way in which it conceals and, and protects money laundering, financing of tourism, and all sorts of dark trades is, is just unacceptable. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink said, while there are risks, blockchain technology is real and cryptocurrencies should not be dismissed. It has created a fascination with millions and millions of people. It's real. It's going to transform how we do our business. And we should not turn our back to it. We should embrace it and work toward a global solution. A coordinated global approach to regulating cryptocurrencies will likely be the central focus for government agencies in the coming months. China, South Korea have already announced they're cracking down on cryptos and banning ICOs, while the U.S. has been slow and calculated in its efforts to regulate this new market. Although just in the last month, SEC Commissioner Jay Clayton has been much more vocal on this topic, issuing a warning on virtual currencies and also writing last night that the SEC is, quote, devoting a significant portion of its resources to the initial coin offering market. Melissa, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you. Uh, Seema Modi, for more on what uh, the crypto crackdown could mean for Bitcoin, let's bring in Civic CEO and Shark Tank South Africa panelist Vinny Lingham. Vinny's been dubbed the Bitcoin Oracle because of his spot-on predictions in the past. So, Vinny, it's so great to have you on Fast Money. Hi, Melissa. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, so it looks like a, a crackdown or, or increased regulation at the very least is coming. What will the impact be on cryptocurrencies and, and will it affect all coins in the same way across the board? Yeah, so I think what's happening is, is in, in developing markets around the world where regulations haven't been as um, well enforced as in the U.S., we're seeing that the growth in crypto in these emerging markets has, has really forced governments to take a quicker look at, uh, a closer look rather, at what's happening at the local exchanges. Now, in the U.S., Coinbase, et cetera, they've been, they've been doing KYC and regulations for years. So it's, it's very familiar territory in the United States. But in emerging markets where a year ago, 18 months ago, um, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, no, no one even knew what they were, now they're having to cope with millions of people coming online and trying to buy these, um, these cryptos. And the regulations and the, and the exchanges haven't really been enforcing um, you know, the a AML, anti-money laundering, and um, uh, ID verification for, you know, KYC for your customers. Right. Know your customers is KYC. So as this, yeah. as this crackdown around the world happens, Vinny, does that put a cap or ceiling on how high prices can get in 2018? So I think uh, on the retail side, uh, retail investors, you know, we've seen exchanges um, like Bittrex, et cetera, have to literally close registrations because they had, a, you know, hundreds of thousands of people signing up within 24 hours, et cetera. So I think the retail investors are going to have to wait in line while they get ID verified and, uh, and KYC processes going through these exchanges. But the, the, the institutional investors and the sovereign wealth funds, et cetera, 
they don't really have these restrictions. They can get ver if they want to do a, a large buy of five million, ten million dollars. They can get verified pretty quickly through these exchanges and still make those buys. So. To some extent, I think it will impact the retail market um, as it grows, but I think the institutional market is probably okay. You own um, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, as well as Ethereum. It sounds like your least favorite is Bitcoin. Then you like Ethereum, and you think Bitcoin Cash is undervalued. How do you come up with, with that sort of analysis in terms of valuation? So personally, when I look at Bitcoin versus Bitcoin Cash, and I've written about this, Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash are actually they're focusing on two totally different markets right now. These two products are serving different needs in the market. The one need is global, fast, cheap payments with some trade-offs, and the other need is uh, you know anti-fiat sort of censorship-resistant money where everybody can run a node uh, to monitor and validate their own transactions. So. You know, when I look at it from a product standpoint, I think the greater demand is for peer-to-peer um, you know, -peer cash than for digital gold. But you know, this is something which we will not be certain of until a couple of years and this plays out. Mm. Um, you don't own, it sounds like, you don't own some of the privacy coins like a Zcash or a Monero. Well, what do you think is in the pipeline for them in terms of regulation? I mean, if, if regulators are so concerned about the use of cryptocurrencies and criminal activities, do you think perhaps privacy coins might face harsher regulations or a harsher spotlight than some of the others? You know, in some ways they should, but again, I, this is crypto. It's really hard to, <laughs> to sort of clamp down on this because it's very easy for Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and any crypto to become a privacy coin as well. So w w where does it start and where does it end? I think uh, Monero and, and Zcash obviously front runners in that, uh, in that race, but it, it's something you, I don't think you can really stop. All right. Um, Vinny, while we have you here, we've got to play a little uh, buy, sell, or hodl. So I'll tell you the cryptocurrency, and you tell me what you're doing with it right now or how you feel about it. Uh, Bitcoin, buy, sell, or hodl? Hodl for me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now to Bitcoin Cash, buy, sell, or hodl? Buy. Buy. Okay, great. And Ethereum, buy, sell, or hodl? Hodl. And then lastly, to round it out. Litecoin, buy, sell, or hodl? Sell. Sell. <laughs> Is that because Charlie Lee sold his position? I Partially, mean, when the founder I mean, sells, you kind of, I mean, that's not a very maybe positive wrecked. sign. Maybe wrecked. wrecked for that. We should do, yeah, maybe we should do wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, when it comes to Litecoin, obviously Charlie's a big, you know, big influence that he sold, but I just don't see the big differentiator between Litecoin and, and Bitcoin, for example. It's the same technology. It's just... It's just mined uh, with a different uh, algorithm, that's all. So I, I'm not really, I've never been very you know, uh, excited about Litecoin itself. All right. And are there any other altcoins out there, Vinny, that you sort of are looking at, interests you think could be uh, the next in, in your top three or four? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I have definitely looked at uh, ZRX, uh, ZeroX. Uh, it's technology for decentralized exchange protocols. This is interesting because if the government regulations do come in and they become too harsh in some countries, um, decentralized exchanges wind up taking uh, the, the place of centralized exchanges because with a decentralized exchange, there's really no, no control over it by any government. So it's kind of like, it's an interesting concept because you can use smart contracts to conduct exchanges of coins and cryptos. Mm -hmm. So decentralized exchanges is a very big uh, I think at the moment it's, it's, it's pretty small, but I think it becomes a very big trend later on this year as we see more regulations come in. All right, Vinny, it's, a, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much for your time. We, we hope you'll come back to Fast Money soon. Thank you.
Vinny Lingham, who is known also as Bitcoin Oracle, giving us a little buy-sell hodl. Uh, Tim, what do you think? Well, I, I think, first of all, it sounds to me like, or my view is regulation equals validation here. And, and I think you know, centralized versus decentralized, I, I also believe, and people may feel these are opposing theories but, or, or concepts, but I, I think if the regulators want you to be centralized, you're going to be centralized. I think people that say there can be no regulation, you can't shut down the Internet, man. Um, I don't believe that. I, I think ultimately that the regulators can can control how this needs to be controlled. That doesn't mean the concept of decentralization in terms of transaction or peer-to-peer -peer cash, et cetera, isn't alive and well, and that's why we're doing this. Karen? Well, I just think you have the other force, beside the, the intervention in whatever form that may be, of a lot of new money coming into the space. And I think that... Still. Still. Yeah. Yes. I think... Even despite the purgatory and the scary music we play and all despite that. Despite the music, yeah. yes. And even with the, you know, the very, very volatile markets that we've seen, even for cryptocurrencies volatile markets, I think that is going to be a significant factor. Well, BK was saying, because he just got back from Switzerland at a crypto conference, and he was saying that there's so many institutionals uh, now, European institutions. This has been a retail Nicola, market to this right. point, let's be clear. Stepping so, in. Yeah. So. So, so for me, I, I'll leave it to, guy, to guys like Tim and BK to figure that out. I, I, I like the blockchain. I think that regardless of where these individual coins go, blockchain is not going away. Overstock and Square is how I'm playing it. Overstock up 15% year-to-date, Square 30% year-to-date. AMD reports on January 30th. Morgan Stanley just raised numbers ahead of that. 22% short interest. I think if you're looking for a beta play on the back of Ethereum and Bitcoin, AMD is the thing. And a quick question to you. Yes. If this bit, Bitcoin craze <laughs> is so amazing, BK, where was he? Stad. Switzerland. Yeah, what did he bring col the collective? Can you just show that to the folks right. uh, playing okay. our home this game? This is what he brought for all of us. Right, it's, Please. You know, it's almost insulting. <laughs> he brought us, get, get a clip. Upside down. Flip it around. For scale's One. sake, here's a bottle of water and here's the total orange so you can really get a true sense of the size of this beauty. Yeah. He expects us to share Well, this. obviously, yeah. well, I won't say it. I, don't, I mean, <laughs> maybe he's had a bad week in his Bitcoin. I mean, you come back with one total own, people. I mean, and it's not I, even I a giant, one the, of those the giant ones. Brian, it's but, just a yeah. normal size thing. Anyway. All right. Toblerone's overrated, um, by the way. Just no, not I think they're delicious. I, you know, how about a Nelsie's Crunch? You just gave up your shares. I know. Swiss chocolate. Make American chocolate great again. Come on. All right. No more talking. From a crypto crackdown to a pot buzzkill, one hedge fund manager's shorting some high-flying cannabis stocks. So what has them so uptight about the space, and should you dare to short pot? That's later. Plus, we're all over the after-hours action. Intel, Starbucks, Western Dig, all in the move. We'll bring in the very latest from the company conference calls. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Intel and Western Digital reporting earnings after the bell. Cue the Magnum PI because if you're a Josh Lipton fan, it is your lucky day. We're giving you double dose of Josh. Two beards if you're counting at home. The man's breaking down the after hours action in both chip stocks from San Francisco. So Josh, one of you, take it away. Man, I, I tell you, I feel like somewhere, Melissa, Tom Selleck is... Um, is listening and wincing at that comparison. So my apologies to uh, Mr. Selleck, but let's get to Intel. Um, these results, Brian Cruzan is calling outstanding. Of course, top of mind for investors, though, Meltdown and Spectre, those two vulnerabilities, those security flaws disclosed earlier this month. Uh, Brian Krasanich addressing that right at the top of the call. Take a listen. We've been working around the clock with our customers and partners to address the security vulnerabilities known as Spectre and Meltdown. While we've made progress, I'm acutely aware that we have more to do. We've committed to being transparent, keeping our customers and owners appraised of our progress, and through our actions, building trust. 
Security is a top priority for Intel. Now, remember, Intel executives have said they do not expect um, any kind of material financial impact from those vulnerabilities. Krasanich is now saying their focus is on delivering some high-quality mitigation, so patches to address those flaws. As for the business units, they obviously focused on data center group revenue up 20 percent to a record $5.6 billion. That was better than expected. Krasanich talking there about broad-based demand strength, driving a, a richer ASP mix, he said in the quarter. Client computing group, so chips for PCs. That clocked in at $9 billion, down 2 percent, but better than expected. For more on Intel's results, you want to be sure to check in tomorrow to Squawk Alley. That is when my buddy John Fort is going to be speaking to Intel CFO Bob Swan, so you don't want to miss that one. Very quickly, uh, Melissa, just touching on Western Digital moving in the opposite direction here. You know, that stock was up about 10 percent year-to-date heading into this report, though down about 6 percent over the past six months. Um, Western Digital, you had a solid beat on the, bo on the bottom line, a bit of a beat on the top line, but investors clearly disappointed. The CEO, Steve Mulligan, talking in a statement about the strong operating cash flow. He talked about uh, continued healthy demand in their end markets, but disappointment there. First quarter, we're hearing from Western Digital uh, since they ended that nasty legal fight with Toshiba. That call is starting right now. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Guy, pick your report. Intel is the report, and we talked about this at the beginning of the <laughs> month, and I think it was pretty unanimous across the desk. The sell-off in Intel off that announcement was probably overdone. And, you know, talk about uh, getting in front of a story. Kazanich did a good job, I think. They had some, some flaws around it, but they did a good job. They were right in front of it, and now this quarter proves that the sell-off was way overdone. Intel still reasonable in valuation. Kudos to Dan Nathan, who's been on this, and I think it's going to probably continue to rally off of this report. Uh, there was an inverse relationship between AMD and Intel, and then when the CEO of Intel got on and said, this is ubiquitous through the whole entire space, everyone's going to have these security breaches or whatnot going forward, then you started to see them work uh, basically in the same direction. And I think that the, the strong report out of Intel, the bar was low, uh -huh. and they crossed over it, and that's going to be strength for AMD. And the other side of it, WD, uh, WDC, that one is going to be weak going forward. So I think you see that inverse correlation with those two names. Can we cross over a little bit to Apple? I mean, just sort of related in the chip space, but Apple sort of had a very rough week. It's down 4% this week. Um, lots of concerns about supply chain, and, though. We were getting supply chain and, and the data that they're getting from the chip suppliers, et cetera, Karen, do you think, what do you think I mean, of this decline? Uh, I don't know. I, everyone seems to be getting concerned. I yeah. kind of buy into that. Um, this can't be bad for the Apple story, right? right? This kind of performance, but actually it was all across the board. It can't be bad, but I don't know if it would be enough right. to overcome to the fears. if they do miss yeah. dramatically. Uh, real simple, when Taiwan Sammy reported what they did, I would listen to them. They're actually seeing demand. Inventory built, not a bad thing for the sector. That's different than last year. I stay long. Intel. All right. Coming up, Starbucks burning investors after hours. The uh, stock is down 4% right now, more than. We'll hear from CEO Kevin Johnson later this hour. Plus, just say no. That's what one hedge fund manager is telling investors about the high-flying pot stocks. We'll tell you what has them so paranoid about the space when fast money returns. Wow. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks have been on fire, but one major hedge fund is not high on the group. Yeah. <laughs> Leslie Figger joins us here on set with more. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Melissa. That's right. It's a $5 billion hedge fund 
not too high on marijuana stocks these days. Lakewood Capital Management revealing short positions in canopy growth and Aurora Cannabis. Founder Anthony Boza telling investors in a letter obtained by CNBC, quote, we believe it's not a matter of if, but when these stock prices collapse. Otherwise, we should all be moving to Canada and growing pot. Hmm. The basis of Bose's thesis is this. Despite the recent excitement, this mania surrounding legalized recreational pot in California, neither of those companies can sell into California or anywhere else in the U.S. That is still illegal. Boza points out that it's really cheap and easy to get Canopy and Aurora's production capacity, that they're not actually making that much pot and the barriers to entry. The competitors are cropping up by the day. It's really easy to get in. So both Canopy and Aurora traded lower today. Canopy didn't respond to requests for comment, but Aurora's spokesman telling me, quote, we don't worry too much about shorts. Shorts on the U.S. and other companies in the sector have forced have been forced to cover repeatedly. Firm, the firm has $5 billion in assets and posted returns of 8.3% last year. The firm also disclosed a long position in BMW and a short in Korean pharmaceutical company Celtrion. Melissa. I got a lot of questions about this. <laughs> I would think that the companies being in Canada is actually a strength in this sector because mm-hmm. there is no legal risk from Jeff Sessions doing something in the United States that is built on um, a, a regulatory framework that already has pot legal. Well, he's saying that people are looking at the U.S. and the potential market here as a growth opportunity for the marijuana companies. And the So fact that's that in the valuation now. He's saying that's essentially priced in, especially California. People mm-hmm. see that as a huge opportunity and all the media uh, buzz, I guess, for lack of a better word, surrounding uh, California and the legalization is something that people has brought retail investors into that stock and has drove it higher. He does not believe that that's a necessity and that that should not be a uh, what was your fast well, pitch company yesterday? Medrelief. Medrelief. Med Med yeah. yesterday, who's the number two player in Canada. They got 18% yeah. of the market, and it's all based upon medical. And, and good for Lakewood for doing their work. They're doing the stock by stock. This is not an indictment of, of, the, of the marijuana industry. Let's be clear. They're pointing at companies that they think actually could be under threat from bigger players to step in. But this is not really about, you know, this conference, and I'm going to quote somebody from the conference I was at Monday or Tuesday in Miami, which was a cannabis conference. This is not about the green wave. This is a marathon to take a bite out of alcohol. And that's what this is. This is this is about efficacy in pain relief and in wellness that it's it, to me, this is a four hundred billion dollar market right now globally. Um, and obviously, California and the U.S. are going to be the leaders of it. So Canada, what's going on right now? Valuations, because Canada is fully legal on the medical side. They're about to go fully legal on, on recreational. And, and, you know, I mean, the, the Ontario Liquor and now Cannabis Control Board mm-hmm. is the largest buyer of alcohol in the world. And MedRelief sells to them. So, I mean, if you think about the companies that are exposed right now, and I think there is an asset grab, and, I, and yeah. I think at this point, the guys with the head start are the ones that are going to have a bigger head start in the future. Now, what do you make of his point about uh, uh, competitors in the, in the space and the fact that barriers to, interest and barriers to entry are so low mm-hmm. to grow pot and produce it? Do you believe that that could be a risk that some of these big companies face? I, I think scale certainly matters, and what we're seeing, and the reason I like MedRelief is because it's a company that actually is, is cash flow positive, and they are best on execution, and they really care about the execution. So I think these guys mm-hmm. truly run a sound operation, but the big, the, you know, the, the $1,000 question for, for the marijuana or the cannabis industry is what happens in terms of supply response to 
more people coming online. Naturally, in any commodity, the more you see, right. the more it should push down prices. And maybe prices we know today are not the same ones we have tomorrow. All right. Leslie, thank you for coming by. Thank Leslie you. Picker. Still ahead, Starbucks sinking after hours on its earnings report. Uh, take a look at the stock here. It's down 5% or so. We'll hear from the CEO in just a few moments. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Starbucks earnings call just about wrapping up. That stock is down in the after-hour session. Let's get to Kate Rogers back at headquarters with the latest. Kate. Hi, Melissa. It was a mixed quarter for Starbucks, beating on EPS but missing on revenue. Comp store sales came in lower than expected globally, but in China they actually increased by 6%. That is a very important metric for the brand, which opened its first reserve roastery in Shanghai back in December. CEO Kevin Johnson said customers line up for hours to shop at the high-end store. China is also now their second largest market in the world, and Johnson says he has no doubt it will surpass rather the U.S. in terms of the number of stores it has there one day. China, once again, our fastest growing market in Q1, with 6% comp growth, driven entirely by increased transactions and 30% revenue growth. Customers' response to our Shanghai roastery has been extraordinary, and the roastery is already performing well above expectation. Mobile is another important growth area for Starbucks, which added 1.4 million active Starbucks rewards members during the quarter. They also raised their full-year EPS guidance due to tax reform, but reiterated their same store sales guidance. Their non-GAAP tax rate will be 23 percent for 2018 as of right now. And, and just a reminder, of course, President and CEO Kevin Johnson will be on CNBC's Squawk on the Street tomorrow. That's at 9 a.m. Eastern to break all of this down, so be sure to tune into that one. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Kate Rogers. Guy, what do you make of the quarter think here? Valuations now. People look at valuations and say, you know, comps weren't great. I heard what Kate said. I heard what Mr. Johnson said. But if you pour through it, I mean, comps weren't nearly where they should be. And you have to ask yourself, made a run up the stock, made a run up to 64, failed. Here we are, 57 and a half. What do we see first? And what I think we see first is sub 55. Then maybe you take another dip at Starbucks. I think in the coffee space, I, I pick Dunkin' if I wanted to go specifically in that space. But I think the tailwind is going to be their effective tax rate is middle 30 Starbucks. Yeah. And I do think you're going to see that become really? an incredible tailwind. Yeah, well, international I'm just looking at the tape because what, what they said is their effective tax rate, so not their net, their, their effective tax rate will be 26%, which is seven, seven percentage points less than their previous guidance, which I think is very positive. That's just hitting the tape. Right. So, so, I mean, I, I think the Starbucks story is one that every time they report, I feel like this stock does this. And every time it's been an opportunity. Um, stock's largely done nothing, though, for two years uh, in terms of if you want to look for a real breakout. It really has not. Um, but I think they're executing. And, and Kevin Johnson, that's really his forte as a CEO. This guy is a chief operating officer. They're, they're growing globally, multi-sales channels. I'm long the name and have been long in these things. This does not bother me. 700 stores opened globally in the first quarter. That's just staggering. Just, I mean, there's it, two, like, you know, one block. There's two on, yeah. on this block. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is crazy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, I guess there's more to saturate out there. Right. <laughs> Sticking with our earnings here, McDonald's is reporting next week the options market implying some big moves to the Golden Arches. Let's get to Mike Coe in Austin, Texas. For more. Wait, Mike, I didn't know Whoa, you're that big of a fan that. of the Big Mac. Wow. That's amazing. From Chinese food to yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm a really healthy eater. It's pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, McDonald's, obviously, they've been trying to make some important changes, I think, with the refranchising effort, the SGA uh, expense cuts. 
you know, it is interesting. This is not a name that typically moves that much. It's a low volatility name, usually moving about 2.5% on earnings. And even though a lot of other consumer discretionary names we're seeing that the moves are, slow, are smaller than average, in McDonald's, the move that they're anticipating is about 3%, so significantly larger than we would normally expect. However, I would point out that over the course of the last month or so, many more calls than puts have been trading. That was also true today, so it seems like the options markets remain, if at least tepidly, bullish. So are you a dollar menu kind of guy or like a Happy Meal sort of fellow? Oh, he's absolutely at me. Of course he's a you Happy know, I Meal mean, guy. I, I actually, <laughs> Look at him. I, <laughs> For the kids, sure. I'm sure they, they love that. I got to tell you, I'm kind of more of a P. Terry's, Shake Shack, Five uh, Guys. How about the Shamrock Shake myself. on St. Patty's, though, Mike? <laughs> or the McRib. We, we can go on all yes, night here. We're out sure of time here. Shamrock Shake. Uh, Mike, thank you. <laughs> we'll see you on Friday, which is tomorrow. That's when the full show is, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, a special Fast Money announcement Ooh. and the final trade. Welcome back. We've got some very good news to share. The Fast Money family is growing. One of our fabulous producers, Maurice, has welcomed a third beautiful baby girl, Katarina, into his family, Aww. weighing in at 8 pounds, 15 ounces. Congratulations to Maurice, his wife, Adriana, and big sisters, Serafina and Veronica. What a crew. Congrats. That's awesome. All right. Time now for the cute. final trade. Tim. So Asian e-commerce, VIPs, VIPS, stay there. They're rallying. Karen? Intel was really good. If you're long, hang on to it. Awesome. The robots got this trade wrong. Pulte Homes, buy it. It's going higher. Hey. AMD on the back of that Intel, Melms. All right. Congrats, Maurice. I'm Melissa Lee. Yeah, back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.